The reflation trade has taken a bit of a back seat with rising COVID concerns in travel and fuel stocks and helping along the stay-at-home shares. It's not just Australia's lockdown, it's the rising numbers in the UK and the impact they'll be having on flights. All that means there's being less attention paid to the Fed speakers as we wait to see what payroll delivers in the US on Friday. It's a pretty quiet Tuesday, actually. It's the 29th of June, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Uh, so a big fall in U.S. Treasury yields today, 10 years down, four basis points to 1.48%, although that's really just reversing the rise from uh, the day before. Yields down across Europe too, down six basis points on 10-year gilts, but again, just a, a one-day reversal. Stocks are very mixed. The Dow is down half a percent. The Nasdaq is up almost 1% to another record high. The losers are oil companies, transport, if we exclude Tesla from transport uh, from that list, whilst Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, all doing well, all the stay home stuff. Apple, for example, the highest it's been since February. Not much movement on the US dollar, but the Aussie dollar's taken a bit of a hit, perhaps not surprisingly, down 0.3%. We're not seeing that size fall in the pound or the euro, but the New Zealand dollar is down more than 0.4%. Of course, New Zealand uh, tourism is going to be hit hard by the lockdown in Australia. Uh, And I said shares in oil companies have struggled, so uh, has the price of oil. Brent down almost 2%, back down below $75 a barrel now, although to be fair, only got past that point in the middle of last week. So again, a bit of a reversal on where we've been. Uh, Tapas Strickland is Director Economics for Markets at NAB in Sydney. So actually, uh, uh, Tapas, I think the, the Sydney lockdown has been getting a fair bit of attention overseas. I, would, I just wonder how much of it has contributed to what is a switch globally, really, isn't it, from the reflation trade, the drive back to tech stocks, uh, getting away from oil. I guess Sydney has played a part in that, as well as the fact that the UK, for example, is seeing uh, rising in, in infection rates as well. Everyone's just getting a bit nervous again, aren't they? It does. Uh, good morning, Phil. It does seem like a little bit of cautiousness has crept back into the market. But as you're noting below, uh, when you look at the equity market in the US, uh, the S&P 500 at the moment is up 0.2%, and the NASDAQ is up around 0.8%. So it's only a little bit of cautiousness, you'd have to say, and certainly nothing in the... Mm respect of uh, being uh, risk off or anything like that and Makamu's overall been fairly subdued and that is pretty pretty typical ahead of non-farm payrolls which is on Friday and just given how markets have reacted to some of those really big risk events so just for one example being the FOMC meeting I think uh, people don't necessarily want to put too much risk on, on the table ahead of those key risk events. Uh, in terms of the Australian yeah. virus outbreak it is rather concerning so uh, Sydney is or is in in lockdown, as we know. And Perth went into a snap lockdown late last night for a minimum of four days. And when you look across a number of different countries right around the world, they are restricting travel. And South Africa is also another country which is uh, in a two-week lockdown Mm. as well. So it does suggest uh, countries are very cautious and uh, could delay the reopening or comprehensive reopening of many um, economies as uh, people deal with the uh, Delta strain of the virus. Yeah. Well, it's interesting now, AstraZeneca, all of a sudden, yeah, everyone can take it now, Scott Morrison has said. Uh, anyone over 16 can. So, you know, that that should help. If people are prepared to take it, you should just take any anything you can get your hands on, really, shouldn't you? So, Because the sooner everyone gets vaccinated, the sooner you get out of it, uh, which is certainly what they're experiencing in the UK. But... That cautious mood won't have been helped by that figure. The latest daily figure for infections in the UK, 22,868, which takes them back to where they were in uh, in February, 
uh, although obviously without the, anywhere near the same number of fatalities. So that's a sign the vaccines are working, although they're not totally eradicating the spread of the virus. And we don't know, of course, whether that's people who haven't been vaccinated that are spreading it, but it does seem awfully large if it is that, given that so many people have been vaccinated, or whether people are just not getting ill, but they're still spreading it, even though they've been vaccinated. That's a big question mark. Oh, it's a very big question mark. And just quickly on the opening up of the AstraZeneca vaccine for those below 60 years in Australia, I guess it is an illustration for how serious the authorities in Australia are treating the uh, outbreak of the Delta variant. Uh, and it does suggest mm. uh, that um, the lockdown in Sydney uh, and in Perth could go longer than the respective provisional timelines, just given how concerned health authorities are there. Uh, in terms of uh, the effective of effectiveness of vaccines. Uh, most of the studies that I've seen uh, suggest the vaccines give a high degree of, of protection against the Delta variant. And um, you're mentioning the UK and two uh, studies there is that it reduces the risk of hospitalization if you use the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine by 96% and by 92% if using the AstraZeneca vaccine. Uh, but the important thing here to note is there's a difference between uh, being hospitalized and getting the infection. So uh, those percentages yeah. fall actually quite a lot uh, when you talk about b uh, being infected, but you're being infected and not having to go to hospital. So uh, with a Pfizer shot, um, it reduces risk of infection by 79% and for AstraZeneca by mm. 60%. So there is going to be some percentage of the population, even when they're fully vaccinated, that will still be infected. But the key thing here, at least according to the studies that we've seen, is that they those people won't have to go to um to um, hospital um, and won't have a severe yeah, case. Yeah, but they can still get quite ill and they can still feel reluctant to spread with lots of people, so it can still slow down the recovery. I guess that's the, you know, that's the factor, again, that we don't know, you know, how, how people are going to behave. But if you see a lot of people getting quite ill but not hospitalised, you know, they're going to stay away from big events, for example. Yes, so and, and, and I guess um, illustrated that point, in the UK, although total new virus cases uh, were 22,900 or so, um, only three new deaths were recorded so it doesn't look like those new cases are translating into new deaths but it is definitely um, um, early days there and I think authorities are very cautious uh, and interestingly in regards to the spread of those, those cases when you look at Israel it's happening amongst the unvaccinated younger population so those below 16 years uh, and uh, it's very unclear exactly where you go from there and it does suggest that um, in order to fully reopen your economies you may need to vaccinate your entire population not only just your adult population, just given that you're still going to have breakthrough infections uh, for some of those who are fully vaccinated. Yeah, now oil heading down. I mean, I did make the point that it's heading down, having been up quite a bit. So it's just sort of like you're turning, you know, we're not, we're not backtracking too far. But uh, we are seeing lots of bans on travel now. Uh, so particularly from Britain, for example, Angela Merkel wants to impose a, a Europe-wide ban on Brits who haven't been vaccinated unless they go into quarantine. Hong, Hong Kong has banned all incoming flights from the UK from the 1st of uh, July. It looks like that UK-US corridor that they were hoping to open won't open before the end of summer. So uh, so that's affecting uh, demand, obviously, for travel. I'm looking, I looked at the Flight Radar 24, which tracks the number of commercial flights, and the latest seven-day average is still about 30% less than it was two years ago. And that really hasn't changed all this year so far. Now, of course, there's also the fact of how many people are on those planes, but uh, th last year, the worst it was was about 75% down on pre-pandemic levels but this year 30% down and there's no sign of sort of like it picking up from that so uh, you know the travel industry is still in trouble and all of that obviously helping to explain the fall in, uh, in oil prices plus we have 
the OPEC Plus meeting in Thursday, where there's a chance that they will actually lift production, even though demand clearly isn't increasing. Mm, yes, and they're the major factors that have been weighing on the oil price overnight. When you look at Brent, it's down 1.9%. And as we were noting before, in terms of the transmission of the virus amongst children, and you're always going to have breakthrough uh, in some um, people who are vaccinated, it does suggest you you have to reach higher vaccination rates, greater than that 60 to 70% threshold that some people had, yeah. had penciled in. And people now talking closer towards an 80 to 90% vaccination threshold being needed before you can fully reopen yeah, your, your ma- economy. So in that respect, uh, it's no surprise to see oil weak overnight. Yeah, a massive re-education exercise the world over to try and get up to that sort of level though, isn't it? Uh, look, I mean, generally though, of course, we are uh, waiting to see what the uh, UK uh, unemployment data is going to tell us. Uh, we have been listening to central bankers, although they haven't influenced the markets particularly, have they? I mean, if I'm wondering, you know, is there an algorithm? Uh, you could probably work on this, uh, Tapas, where the number of words spoken by central bankers over, say, a two-week period and the declining influence that that verbosity has. You know, we reach a peak word count at which people actually turn off and they're not interested in what's being said by central bankers anymore. But, I mean, we've had a bit from, <laughs> had a bit from the Fed and also from the ECB, haven't we, overnight? Uh, yes, definitely. I think that's a case especially after big big uh, policy meetings like people will listen to yeah. one or two of the key uh, thought leaders within the respective central banks so for the fed obviously that is uh, the feds williams clarita and powell and uh, beyond that, then um, markets probably fade a little bit of interest in terms of what the regional Fed presidents are saying. Uh, nevertheless, the Fed's Barkin was speaking um, o- um, overnight, and he had been dovish until recently. And he's in the camp that it's about time that they probably talk about tapering the asset purchase program. So that September tapering announcement looks like to be relatively more probable. Um, and uh He's also open to a hike in 2022 if the data makes a case for it. So uh, we noted uh, after the FOMC, I think uh, seven Fed officials were penciling in a rate hike uh, in 2022, um, but the majority didn't see any move in 2022. Um, If the data makes a case for it, um, obviously if employment uh, gets back to pre-pandemic levels and inflation is around or above target, then I think more Fed officials could be swayed towards hiking in 2022. Right, but that's, I mean, but that's, that's really Fed officials saying nothing, isn't it? If the data says that we should change, we'll change. I mean, yeah, well, of course. Uh, so Christine Lagarde's going to be talking from the ECB tonight. She's already been saying, so they had a, a private meeting of European leaders last Friday, and she was there urging them to water their green shoots, saying that one of the mistakes we've made in the past is that we've uh, we've slowed growth down by not putting enough piling enough government money in uh, to try and get the economy back on track. But a couple of ECB speakers out as well, hasn't there, over the last 24 hours? Uh, yes, there's been a, a, quite a number, but again, not really market moving and kind of talking in uh, conflicted purposes. So uh, the Bundesbank head mm. uh, warned of upside risk to prices pressure and uh, he's arguing for a step down taper of the ECB's emergency bond buying program. And in contrast, uh, Panetta is saying it's not we're not out of the pandemic phase yet and it's too early to slow the pace of asset purchases. So I think that debate within the ECB the world will over. continue. <laughs> And the world he's over, the world over as well. Yeah, yeah. All right. Now, I don't know if you... Did you read the intergenerational report yesterday from Josh Frydenberg? Have you had a chance to look at that? I'm wondering whether it's uh, worth a quick mention today. I noticed Chris Richardson is quoting the AFR saying that, you know, if we take the eight, the 30-year average of 1.5% productivity growth, that's not going to be achieved. Uh, so either we need more more people in the country, which is obviously going to be politically difficult, uh, or that we're just going to have to accept that they're, gonna, they're not going to reach those levels. I, 
It's a, it's a very interesting report and uh, quite quite detailed. So I did give it a bit of a skim. And the two key uh, areas for me was the government's uh, assumptions around population growth. And they're expecting a pretty sharp snapback in migration within a couple of years of the international borders easing up. So I think that's one key takeaway for me. Uh, and the second one is if the productivity growth assumption of 1.5% is unrealistic, then the only two ways to really get growth outside of that is to increase the participation rate. Um, so more incentives uh, to get um, women to work and um, older people to work as well. Uh, and uh, population growth so to me it argues that the government remains very committed to running a fairly high migration strategy Uh, we're back to having three kids again aren't we you know one for one for mum one for dad one for the country perhaps that's the uh, perhaps that's the answer look it's uh, another quietish day-to-day preliminary inflation numbers for germany the u.s uh, uh, house price index for april the conference board consumer confidence number for the u.s early in the morning uh, Aussie Weekly Consumer Confidence. We've also got uh, Governor Orr from the RBNZ with their, their their bank statement of intent through to 2024. So what what what? Are, you know, a few other bits and pieces. What are you going to be focusing on today, Tapas? It is a very quiet calendar coming up. And mm. I, I think uh, the kind of key things really is going to be around the German uh, CPI and whether that prints above consensus and lends more uh, support to some kind of tapering of asset purchases sooner than many in the ECB um, may think. And the other one is uh, the Australian Weekly Consumer Confidence, not market moving in any way, but should show a pretty substantial decline just given the Sydney virus outbreak. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, very good. We'll see. So I guess, you know, we'll wait and see what happens today on those infection numbers around the world and see how the attitude shift. But we'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, Tapas. Catch you soon. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. I hope you're still listening to The Morning Call, by the way, even if you might not be doing your morning commute regularly. Uh, We're still here. Back again tomorrow morning with another one. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you then.